0: Uh, if you've got a Bible, we're in John 10 tonight. We're going to read verses 1 through 6 to get us going tonight, and we'll uh, cover down through verse 15, I believe, uh, through our study. But probably one of the most preached on, the most uh, referenced, and you probably can quote more of this passage than you think you can, um, and, and maybe you think you maybe you know a lot of it, and I hope you do, and, and there's a lot of very uh, good memory verses. Uh, two, of the, uh, uh, two of the I am statements come from this text um, right One after the other, Um, so very, very uh, uh, often referenced, often quoted, often preached, should be often read text. Uh, And if you haven't read it in a while, then tonight is your lucky night. We're going to be looking at one of the most rich and uh, um, important and informative. If you like learning, um, I'm sure you like learning, right? Um, If you like learning, I think we're going to learn a lot tonight. We're going to have a little fun as well um, talking about um, this uh, text and the subject that comes along with it. So John 10... The Scripture says in John 10, verse number 1, Most assuredly, or truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper, or the gatekeeper, opens, and the sheep hears his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And which is very surprising that they didn't understand it, because I don't know about you, but I've noticed as I've read the Bible a time or two there's a lot about sheep in the Bible, isn't there? Have you ever been reading the Bible thinking, man, I can't turn a page and not see a not see a verse about a sheep or a shepherd? And if you've ever thought that, you're on to something, because there is a lot about sheep and shepherds in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, especially the Old Testament, but passages like this allude to those Old Testament stories and Old Testament um, references um, a lot. So if you've ever thought, hey, why, or maybe you've wondered, what is the deal with all these sheep and all these shepherd references? Um, To be succinct, the Hebrew people, of which the Bible comes from, the Hebrew people had sheep before they had a nation. So if you wonder why there's a lot about sheep in the Bible, before there was ever an Israel, there were Hebrews with sheep. Um, So that probably helps explain why sheep were such a common common thing that were always around the people. Where the people went, the sheep went. Uh, Where there were Hebrews, where there were Jews, there probably was a sheep or two or half a dozen or so, more than one flock or two there with them, right? There were Hebrews and there were sheep always in the same area, in the same neighborhood. Sheep are mentioned specifically as early as Genesis 4, right? Um, Before there was ever in Israel, before the Hebrew people, came to be. Um, if you read Genesis 4, you'll find a, a story of Abel who was a keeper of sheep. So four people on planet earth, one of them was a shepherd. Um, I guess whenever, you know, Abel was growing up and Adam and Eve probably looked around and thought, well, somebody's got to start taking care of all these livestock. And of course, part of their worship, part of their sacrifice, sacrificial system um, that God taught them about in Eden when he clothed Adam and Eve with um, animal skin, when he uh, covered their nakedness, right? That was a part of the sacrifice they made to atone for the sin, to point toward a Savior. God taught them about that, right? So it must have been um, part of that that, uh, as they kind of got established, hey, we need someone to tend to the sheep and someone to raise these sheep that would be sacrifices, that would serve as clothing, and of course that would that would be a major industry in and around Israel for years and years to come as a purveyor of sheep and sheepskin and so forth and of course they would write on the sheepskin sheepskin and sheep in general were very very important to the Jewish people from an industrial point of view and also from a religious point of view so naturally when you have sheep you have shepherds and you have a lot of them, that the Hebrew people from the earliest of days were known as a people of shepherd, a people of sheep, or as keepers of sheep, or as a shepherding people. They were wandering sheep keepers. If you remember that the word Hebrew means wanderer, um, and the Hebrews were known as shepherds by all those that came in contact with him, that brushed up against them. Um, if you remember the story of Abraham, he left his homestead, became the first of uh, first member of what would become the nation of Israel. Uh, Genesis 13 tells us he had more sheep than he knew what to do with, um, that his herds and Lot's herds got so big that he had to tell Lot to hit the road because there was just not enough room for both of their flocks. So Abraham was a shepherd. If you read throughout Genesis, by the time you get to the, 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 the generation of Jacob, every chapter of Jacob's life mentions something about sheep. There's some really comical and entertaining stories about Jacob and his father-in-law um, playing games with each other, trying to see who can get the biggest flock and whose sheep were speckled and spotted. Go read those stories in the middle of Genesis. They're pretty pretty interesting. Um, you remember the story of Joseph? Uh, Joseph goes and checks on his brothers because they were keeping the sheep, and they kind of wandered too far. So Joseph is kind of a shepherd to the shepherds, right? He goes and looks for his brothers who are looking for their sheep, um, and, and and if you know the, how that story goes, when Jacob's sons relocate to Egypt after the whole Joseph encounter and he reveals himself and all that, and the famine, when the Israelites move to Egypt, uh, when, when they come before Pharaoh and Joseph introduces them, or they introduce themselves as Joseph's brothers, um, when, they come, when they come before Pharaoh to, to be given land to dwell in and settle in, um, this is how they introduce themselves in Genesis 47. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. So that's really kind of a foundational statement. The, the, the sons of Jacob say, Hey, we're shepherds. Our dad was a shepherd. Our grandpa was a shepherd. Our great-grandpa was a shepherd. Go as far back as you can. We have always been shepherds. So if you wonder why are there so many sheep and why are there so many shepherds, It kind of makes sense, doesn't it? The Jewish people were shepherds. The Jewish people loved their sheep. So they knew sheep, and they knew how to shepherd really well. Now, of course... Over time, they would diversify a little bit. Not everybody that lived in and around Israel through the ages was a shepherd. But this shepherd-sheep analogy was really baked into the nation's history. Um, the, sheep, the lamb, of course, was kind of a national mascot, kind of like the eagle is for us or the lion is for Great Britain. Uh, the, 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 this, this shepherd-sheep analogy was kind of baked into their national history, their heritage, their identity, and their experience. Um, if you read through the Old Testament, some of my favorite stories are the sheep-shearing festivals and the sheep shearing festivals were pretty much like the super bowl for Israel every year when it was time to shear sheep everybody came out and there was there was always some drama and some entertainment people got killed people you know, people got rowdy a lot of cool things happened go read some of the stories in the old testament google sheep shearing festival in the bible and you'll find some pretty interesting stories pretty big chapters of the Bible that that center around these big festivals, these Super Bowl-like events where everybody came and sheared their sheep together in the early summer. Now, one of the earliest anthems and songs that came about um, for the Jewish people um, as they got settled in the land um, it's found in Psalm 95. Now, Psalm 95 was probably written and probably inspired by the wilderness period, which would have been the time between Egypt and, and, and the settling of the land. If you read, this, if you read that psalm, there are all kind of allusions and callbacks to God bringing them out of Egypt and the experience in the wilderness. But what stands out the most in Psalm 95 are these lines. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So, again, they were shepherding people. They loved their sheep. They were shepherds by, by, by occupation. But now they're singing about how it's as if they're God's sheep. So because it was something they were so comfortable with and so, so familiar with, it became kind of, kind of part of their DNA as a people, right? It became kind of how they connected to God and how they referenced and understood God. They were like sheep and God was like their shepherd. And that's not the last time you'll hear that analogy. In their formative years as a nation, this, this idea became embedded in their, their identity as a nation, as a people. And, and remember, Moses... Before he ever shepherded the people through the desert, what did he do for 40 years in in, in Midian? He was a shepherd, right? He was a shepherd for his father-in-law Jethro for 40 years, and then he spent 40 years leading God's people to the promised land. Now, later when the nation was organized, God saw fit to bring in a shepherd to be the king over his people, to reflect him and model what he was doing from afar. So you see this ball continues to roll, right? It was in Genesis 4. It was in Genesis 47. It was in Exodus 3. It was in the, the, the book of Numbers and the story of the wilderness. You get into the books about the kings of Israel. It's there as well. Israel's first united king, we all know him and we all love him, the lovable, often remarkable King David. The former shepherd boy became Israel's shepherd king. And if you'll remember how David became king, how he became united, the united king of Israel, the story goes like this. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince or king over Israel. So again, here's this shepherd idea that David, a shepherd by trade, as a boy in his father's household, would be a shepherd of of the people of Israel because he literally was like a shepherd and led them and took care of them and fought for them. Israel's king would serve as an under-shepherd representing the chief shepherd. I like that kind of of phrasing, right? He was the under-shepherd of the higher and the supreme shepherd. Of course, David is perhaps most famous for a song that he wrote, right? More famous than any law that he passed, more famous than any battle he fought in, David is known for Psalm 23, right? Psalm 23, that we all know it so well, a song that he penned that punctuated Israel's relationship with God. And really, when David is trying to kind of iron out what it means to to know the Lord and what it means to serve the Lord and have a relationship with the Lord, the God of Israel, um, he used this sheep-shepherd analogy. And everybody knows how that song begins, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters just like a shepherd does to his flock of sheep. And as long as the king kept this attitude and lived by this, the whole nation would follow along. But if you read on, the story of Israel doesn't go like that, does it? After David came a line of kings and then the nation was divided and these kings did not shepherd God's people, but they actually turned the other way, turned away from God, and ultimately the nation turned away from God. The trend went the other way and the kings and the religious leaders did not follow God as His sheep. And actually they began to pray over His people. Not pray for, but as in take advantage of. They became corrupt and greedy for gain and the people suffered like sheep without a shepherd and were oppressed greatly. Now, if you read the books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, specifically, Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34, you should go read those chapters, mark them and read them later, because they're pretty powerful. But all the whole book of Jeremiah, the whole book of Ezekiel, both of these prophets addressed the nation's leaders, not just the politicians, but the priests and the religious leaders too. Both of these prophets addressed the nation's leaders who turned from God and turned on His people Jeremiah 23 addresses the shepherds who have scattered and divided and abandoned their flock. As in, they, didn't, they, looked, they saw their role over the people as just a job. They were just there to get paid. They didn't care about anybody. They weren't doing it for anybody. They were just there to do it. And if it, if it became inconvenient, or if there was a way to take advantage of these people and sell them off and do this to get their own... You know, to, to win on their own terms, they were willing to do it. Jeremiah 23 says, Woe to you shepherds that have scattered, divided, and abandoned my flock. Ezekiel 34 points out how the shepherds failed to care for and tend to and do good for the flock of God's people. They had not bound up and carried and healed and, and, and helped bring refuge to God's people, but actually had done the opposite. The result was a nation in disarray Without a conscience for God and falling into all sorts of cults and other religions, it started at the top. The kings and the priests were no longer shepherding the people and the sheep went astray and lost contact with the great shepherd, the ultimate and chief shepherd. And that's the Israel that Jesus steps into when the New Testament begins. Remember, according to John, Jesus showed up and he was fulfilling Old Testament prophecies, and he was filling the messianic roles that the Old Testament predicted and and said, hey, this is what a Messiah is going to do. He would be the Word of God made flesh. He would be the favor of God made free. He would be the Lamb of God come to take away the sin of you and of me. John 10 is Jesus once more going down the list of Old Testament expectations, and he's bringing to mind, bringing to the surface, bringing to the conversation this very familiar idea that God is a shepherd to Israel, and God expects his leaders to shepherd his people so they might see him and, and have, a, have an image of him. John 10, once again, Jesus goes down this idea of these Old Testament expectations and this understanding of who God was and what it were his promises and how he was going to fulfill them and keep them. Many have resisted him and wondered uh, who he was and, and were asking questions about Jesus. We remember from John 9 last time, the religious leaders came, aggressively, came out aggressively against Jesus, right? Not just that he wasn't the Messiah, but they came out against him being any connected to God at all, right? They said, hey, he's a heretic. He's, he's a blasphemer. He's not anything to do with God, not representing God at all. He needs to get out of here. We don't want anything to do with him. And if you're with him, you're not with us, right? They exiled a guy from the synagogue and from the temple because of his association with Jesus. And that guy was healed by Jesus, Right? So, uh, John 10, Jesus takes on the religious leaders and speaks past them to the general audience. So at the end of John 9, Jesus is kind of lecturing the Pharisees and the priests and the elders who have completely lost the plot and lost, their, lost the, the, the will of leading the nation. And Jesus addresses them, but he also is speaking to everybody else around them. Right? They're in the temple, their courtyard. They're there in the religious epicenter. So all the religious leaders are listening and all the people are listening. So Jesus is addressing them He's distinguishing between himself and them as the true shepherd from God compared to these uh, hirelings who haven't been doing the job they were called to do and really couldn't do it because they weren't the Messiah. Uh, And he also goes into detail as to what the Messiah's role specifically would be toward his people. So with that all in mind... John 10 maybe makes a little more sense or maybe makes a little more sense why he would just all of a sudden say the things that he said. Even if you don't know all of that, John 10 is still God's Word and it's still powerful and it probably makes sense anyway. But knowing all that, knowing how all this kind of was building up and all this was pointing to, hopefully John 10 makes a little more sense and you kind of understand why Jesus would use this very specific analogy to connect to and relate to the people. Now, with all that said, let's read John 10 again and hear these words of Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now, he's talking about the leader, right? The leaders of Israel who weren't representing what a true shepherd was meant to be toward the people of God and toward the people of Israel. He's talking about how they were, were not representing, not standing in that role. And we'll talk specifically about what they were supposed to be, where they were supposed to be standing, what they were supposed to be doing. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, there, we'll talk specifically what this door means. But he who comes through the door, he who stands in the gap of the door, is the true shepherd. To him, the doorkeeper or the gatekeeper, which was kind of like an assistant to the shepherd, that's when the, the gatekeeper says, okay, the big guy's here. I can, I'm dismissed. The shepherd's going to do his job. He... It says to him, the doorkeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. So Jesus is saying, Hey guys, if you're wondering why all the nation is following me, it's because they know my voice as the voice of God, right? They are hearing my voice. And and this is amazing, Jesus' words are so powerful, they're so provocative, as in they get your attention, right? And, And there's something in you and there's something in me that is wired to the words of God, specifically the words of Jesus, and when we hear His words, something in us sparks, something in us perks up, something in us says, I think I need that. If you want to change the direction of your day, open the New Testament, find the words in red. If you don't go to one of those Bibles, just read the words of Jesus, listen to what He says, your life will change. Now don't just be random and open the Bible and put your finger down and say, oh, I don't know what that, you know, that's not a good way to do it. Read the New Testament, read the Gospels, read the Word of God. Jesus' words will speak to the part of your soul that you didn't realize could hear. He says, when He brings out His own sheep and goes before them, the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. There's some sort of, some sort of innate connection there. Now, you were made in God's image, weren't you? Right? We were made in God's image, so there's something past all the sin, past all the, 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 the fallenness. There's a connection. There's a thumbprint. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of Strangers, now a few things we need to talk about. Verse 1 mentions a sheepfold. Now maybe you know what a sheepfold is. Maybe you've got a sheepfold. I've kind of got a modern version of a sheepfold. I don't have any sheep, though. Maybe you, that, that doesn't make any sense. It? Most of you know what a sheepfold is probably. A sheepfold is basically a fenced in pasture. Um, but here's a picture of what a specific sheepfold in ancient Israel would have looked like, probably looked like. So kind of like a rounded pen, a rounded gate, made of stone with some branches and briars laid across the top or some sharp rocks. But notice specifically there's no gate. There's no door. There's no block. there's no way to seal it off is there. Now These sheepfolds, most of them were attached to or adjacent to a house or a community building. There was probably one per community, one per town in most ancient um, Israeli uh, communities. Um, After the shepherd had spent the day with the sheep grazing the hills, um, he would bring them in in the evening. If a sheep got injured or a sheep was weak or or, or it was nursing or whatever, um, they would stay behind during the day with the gatekeeper who would watch them while while the shepherd was out grazing. But most of the time, um, they would come back here just in the evening just at night and they would rest in this sheepfold Um, they would rest in this little pasture Um, they usually didn't have a formal door as you see in the picture Um, there was no gate with a latch or a lock not because they couldn't do it right the ancient world was you know wasn't as modern as ours but they could bore something up if they want to right they could shut something off if they wanted to there was just this gap that a person couldn't walk through. Usually it was very small. This is kind of in enlarged large picture. Um, but usually they weren't big enough. They might have had a little bit of a hutch over it. But they weren't big enough where a person could always walk through. But it was perfect for a sheep to go in of and come out of. The best we can deduce from study, because we've got to wonder, why didn't they put doors on it? Like, why not put a door? It's easy to latch and shut it open and shut a door. The best we can figure out is, Sheepfolds had, had no gate, just a gap, uh, and it was an intentional part of the design of these pastures. Now that, that to me, I, I've spent the last week, last couple of weeks, making sure that I, found, I uncovered every nook and cranny to find, make sure that this is not something I'm, I'm overseeing. But from what we know, this was an intentional part of the design. Now the gatekeeper throughout the day um, would, would, would literally stand in this this gap would stand in this, um, in this opening um, as the sheep might come back and forth. But most of the time, a shepherd would stay by night. So there was a gap there. There was no door, but there was a human door. There was always a person standing or sitting or laying in the gap. Even if, even if there was a door, a shepherd being there was imperative because of the openness of the pasture. Now, obviously, the sheep might not be able to jump over the wall because it was built up high enough, but wolves and other predators could and would climb in and out of these places. So even if there was, a, even if it was briars or branches on top, so even if there was a door, it was imperative that a shepherd always be on watch. A door would only keep the sheep in, but it wouldn't keep the enemies out. In the gap always stood a leave, living, breathing gate as in a person. Better than a lock on the door was a person locked and ready to protect their sheep. Now, now some, some more about sheep. Growing up in church, I remember hearing a lot about sheep. Uh, again, I, I, got, I love sheep the old testament's full of sheep stories i kind of got a special attachment to some of those sheep stories i grew up in church hearing a lot about sheep and i remember hearing people my preacher preachers always talk about how we are like sheep to god now we've already discussed that we all know that but and then in the same breath the preacher used to say something like this we are like sheep to god by the way sheep are the dumbest animals on the planet you remember that story? Remember that? You know, it'd be all this awesome emotional, all we're like God's sheep. He loves us, and He guides us, and He protects us. Oh, by the way, you're dumb. Now, I you know I don't like to use that word. That's just what I heard when I was little. Right? That sheep are just the most ignorant, the most whatever words you want to use there for for you know lacking sense. I heard that all my life. Sheep have no sense. Sheep are dense. Sheep just don't aren't able to think. You know, and, and I started thinking, a couple of years ago, I'm like, you know, that, is that, I guess that's true. You know? And I started repeating that. But then I, I, went, I started doing some research. There's a lot of sheep research out there. Y'all should go on the internet and look this stuff up. There's some credible sites, so don't just go on the internet and type in. You, know, you might find a lot of cool stuff. I don't know. A lot of cool videos about sheep. But if you go on some pretty credible websites, there's actually a lot of sheep research that have been done about sheep. And, and history shows this about sheep. Sheep are very loyal and relational animals. These acts of loyalty and friendship building are driven by their emotions. Now you might roll your eyes and think this isn't true, but we talk about dogs like they're people, right? So let's talk about sheep like they're people, right? Tonight, a, 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 a 2009 report published by the Animal Welfare Group found that sheep are capable of experiencing a range of emotions, from anger to fear, despair, even boredom. Right, and, and you know you, that look that you get from barnyard animals sometimes, that's just like, are they even there? Is there something going on in there? It might not be that they're just, it's not, it's not that they're just dumb, it's that they're just bored, right? Hey, do something to impress me, person that keeps me locked up in a fence. Speaking of which, um, Lindsay, can I tell this story? Uh, we didn't latch the, bar, the fence last night at the barn, and uh, this morning our, our uh, donkey and our little mini horse decided they were going to go on a journey, um, and they made it halfway across the woods and up toward the, uh, the highway, um Lindsay had turn around and go home and uh, uh, lasso them and, and take them home. So um, very personal, You know, I can really relate to this story now. One day I'm going to have a sheep in, in the fence, but uh, no, animals, I don't know about all barnyard animals. Not all of them are as, as astute as sheep are, but sheep are capable of experiencing a range of emotions now Keith Kendrick who is actually somewhat of a a, a sheep expert I've read a, a little bit lately um, he said that studies show that sheep can recognize and remember at least 50 individual faces for and keep that in their memories for over two years it's pretty cool right I can't remember people's faces for over two days right sheep can remember and recognize people's faces and, and their, their their expressions for over two years it's way longer than most people right uh, he's on record saying that sheep show clear behavioral signs of recognizing individuals and there's actually a, a video out there that I think the National Geographic did um, where the sheep have been shown pictures of, of, of certain celebrities and then put through process of kind of impressing that in their minds they actually could retain that and through studies showed that they could retain the people that they saw and they actually recognized those individuals and showed expressions that you know suggested that they actually knew and were familiar with those faces this guy's team found evidence that sheep can differentiate facial expressions and even prefer smiles to frowns. So be sure to smile at a sheep next time you see one. Um, but, so to put all this in context for the picture Jesus is painting, when it is time to leave the sheepfold and go out to pasture, the sheep follow the voice and the face of the shepherd and they follow him because they recognize him. You hear that? They recognize him as their own Lord, their own caretaker. And they know that He will lead them to a good place. Maybe green pastures, maybe still waters. They recognize, they don't recognize, if they don't recognize the voice or call of the person who's trying to take them somewhere, they won't budge out of the sheepfold. Now we might call that stubborn, right? I call that loyal, right? They won't budge out of the pasture unless it's their guy that's saying, come with me. Jesus in verse 5 again says, Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus makes this pretty clear about how earnest and trustworthy and dependent sheep are towards their shepherds, maybe better put, towards their friends. Now, in this next passage, Jesus is talking to us about his commitment and his love for us. Verse 7, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Remember that living, breathing door, right? All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So I used to worry about this as a kid. Well, in and out, what does that mean? You know, are you saved and lost, saved and lost? Now we understand the picture, right? You, you go in for rest. You go out and you graze and, and you follow the shepherd. You're going wherever the shepherd is, right? You're staying with the shepherd. Jesus says he is the door, he is the gate. Remember, the gates of these sheepfolds were all almost synonymous with the gatekeeper. We'll get there, but what what is he saying? What he is saying is that only through him, only through Jesus are going are we going to find the relationship with God that we are longing for. The Bible tells us over and over again that we desire more than what this life offers us, where logic often takes us. We want to matter. We want purpose. That shouldn't say purpose. That should say purpose. We want purpose. We want fulfillment. We want significance. None of those things are found in success alone, accomplishments, or even other people. There are stories in Scripture and in history of the rich and powerful and popular people who wanted more. Now look up here before we get out. We don't live in a world that is morally neutral. We live in a world that is fallen. And what I mean by that is that every institution of this world, every goalpost this world sits in front of us, is tainted by sin. I'm not saying everything's evil. I'm not saying that everything's bad. I'm just saying that nothing of this world is set up to lead you to Jesus. Nothing. In fact, they'll actively lead you away from Jesus. Places that are good, people that are good, things that are good that might be good for you, if it's uh, things that are not directly connected to God, right? They might be okay, where you work, who you hang out with, dreams and goals you've got in life, nothing bad about them. But they're not set up to lead you to Jesus. They might even be set up to get you away from Jesus. Say well-meaning people who use their positions to point you past the institutions and the goalposts and what's behind and above and beyond them I say this to say that if someone isn't pointing or we aren't looking, every institution of this world will we join and pledge allegiance to and knit our hearts to. Every goalpost that we set and every one that we surpass, they will naturally compete. They naturally compete for and attempt to serve as a substitute for what only Jesus can do and give to us. You'll find this is very subtle, isn't it? That over time, something that is not necessarily sinful or bad, but it can take the place of Jesus, or we think it can for a little bit, and then until then it wears off and we realize that Jesus wasn't anywhere near that. Nothing wrong with liking this, following them, joining that. We just, just know that it's not wired to lead you to true fulfillment and peace and purpose and significance. It's actually bent to do the opposite. You can leverage those things for a greater greater cause. You can wave a greater flag, but that's, the not, that's not the natural step to take. Because this world is darkened by sin, and the enemy works in and any in and every corner he can use to do, to use harmless things to lead you away from God. To take God's place. And that's why Jesus says in verse number 10, the thief does not come to Except to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. He contrasts himself, that only through him are you going to find true, abundant, eternal life. You know where this happens more than universities and workplaces, hobbies and sports. You know the, the, the most the, what causes people to, to get away from Jesus more than anything? More than chasing this dream or chasing that goal? Religion. Religion is the enemy's favorite means of leading astray and replacing truth. He does it two ways, through the deception of self-righteousness, through trying to get you to think, well, I've done something for myself, I've done something on my own, I don't need Jesus. Or through the lie of condemnation, saying that you're not good enough, you'll never be good enough, you've done too much wrong. He uses religion to get people away from Jesus more than anything else. We like to talk about college and government and politics and work. (laughs) He uses religion more than any of those. Regardless, there are many avenues he uses to keep us from Jesus. But listen, that desire you have, that longing you feel, only Jesus can provide fulfillment, peace, and belonging that you need. How can we know that? Well, to get this, you're going to have to think like a sheep for a minute. Can you do that for just a minute? Sheep look for trustworthiness, for safety, and security in an ever-changing and unpredictable world. And you are all, we are all looking for those same things. This is where shepherds who were serious about their jobs and their flocks are distinct from those who just saw it as a business. Good shepherds work passionately to instill a sense of trust in their sheep. When first with a flock, they may have to work tirelessly to keep the herd together. But when they're grazing... They prove their love for the flock in how they defend them. And this is how they win the flock every time. Remember little David when he told Saul about his journey as a shepherd before. He slew a lion and a bear that threatened his sheep. And David would write these words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod that is used to beat the wolves off, your staff that guides me and pulls me in, comforts me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies because when the shepherd's there to defend his sheep, the enemies tremble and they stay away. When they get back to the pasture, the shepherd, this is where they really impressed the flock. More than just beating the wolves off, more than just running the enemies away, good shepherds literally lived in the shepherd gap during the night. They would lay down for bed in this gap as if to say to the enemies, you're going to have to come through me to get to my sheep. They would literally lay their life down for them. John 11-15 and we're done. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay my life down for the, make it my, sheep. At all costs, the enemy would have to come over the shepherd. And Jesus says the same thing in regards to us and how he loves us. See, the universe was torn by sin. There was a hole in it that was sucking everybody into it, into hell, into darkness. Jesus patched that hole. He patched that gap. He was nailed to both sides of that gap. He died in the gap. He died in the gap, but guess what? He rose again, didn't he? And He lives in the gap right now. He reigns from the gap right now. That gap in the sheepfold, that gap in the pasture, He lives there, His throne is there. Listen, that gap in your life, that vulnerability, that weakness, that exposed wound in your life, Jesus lives in the gap. You know, I know know that. He died in the gap. He lives in the gap. That's how much Jesus loves you. He literally laid His life down for you. God showed His love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what your heart needs to hear the most. That's what your soul wants the most. To feel the sense of value and purpose and security and belonging, this can drive you to see your place in every day. If Jesus gave His life for you, it means your life matters to Him. Even on the days that seem insignificant, you remain significant to and for God. Just look at the gap and see who's laying there. It's Jesus. He's not going to budge. Because you're His. And He's yours. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for this truth, this gospel truth. Jesus is the good shepherd. How do we know that, God? He laid his life down for the sinful sheep. Father, in our lives there are many gaps. Thank you that you've just declared to us that Jesus lives in the gap. He died in the gap. He will always defend and protect those that He loves. Father, in this world, we are often tempted to turn to a lot of different directions looking for fulfillment, but Jesus says the only way we're going to be fulfilled is to listen to His voice and follow His voice because He is the Good Shepherd. God, thank You for teaching us so much tonight about Your your love for us and our relationship to You. And God, help us to take every step this week like a sheep would following his shepherd or her shepherd. And help us not to go any direction where your voice is not speaking and your voice is not guiding us from. Father, thank you for this warm reminder that you are the good shepherd and help us never to forget that. Help us never to wander. Help us to go where we can find trustworthiness and salvation. To Jesus in the gap protecting all of us. We ask all this in his amazing name. Amen.